I appreciate so much uh, the opportunity to be here with you. I enjoy the fellowship that my wife and I have in this place, and and it's always a privilege. And uh, I thank you for being here tonight, and I appreciate several of the comments that have already been made that tie into some of our thoughts tonight about a little cameo of the early church. It, it's, it's like uh, through the scriptures we're able to see through a little window uh, a picture of the church and what it was like in the first century. The primitive church, the first of the kind, the uh, original church what it looked like and how it behaved itself and and conducted itself as they fulfilled their calling in their generation and i would like to uh pick up in acts chapter 2 last time we were together we were blessed to uh, look uh, at least uh, briefly at the uh, the message of peter on the day of pentecost and how it revolved around the person and work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and he was uh, uh, bold in his declaration. And he was actually witnessing to the very generation that had previously called for the crucifixion of Christ. He was unafraid of what the Sanhedrin court would do to him or uh, to those around him. And he was able to to be filled with the Spirit to the extent that he was not afraid of men. He, he was not afraid any longer. And I love that portrait of, of Peter. And uh, we want to uh, pick up at verse 36, and, and tonight we're going to title our study, A Cameo in the Life of the Early Church. A cameo, a picture, a uh, of life in the early church and we're going to start with the last part of Peter's message and he he says therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ the reason I want to start there tonight is because Peter is building his whole case upon the exclusivity of Christ Jesus, the uniqueness of Christ Jesus. There's only one like Him. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through this same Jesus. And we're going to notice something in the first seven chapters of our study of Acts. We're going to notice how that it has a Jewish flavor uh, because it's primarily preaching to Jewish people. And, uh, and, and that's interesting to me. He says, let, uh, let all the house of Israel know. The reason this is critical to our study tonight is we need to understand this in the context of the Jewish economy and how that for centuries they were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for the promise of the Messiah. All of those centuries they were waiting. And then when the Messiah came... They rejected him. The stone which the builders disallowed has become the head of the corner. So this is a great uh, revelation to the house of Israel that their Messiah had come. And what did they do? 
that crucified him. So how are these people that are assembled in the court around the temple going to respond to that challenge? That's what we're going to pick up on in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? This is reflective of anguish over the death of the Messiah, conviction over their own complicity, fear of retribution from God the Father, and despair over what could not be undone. This is the attitude that, that wrought conviction in their heart. How can you unscramble an egg? How can you redo something in your past that you would change if you could? So they were feeling this heavy load of guilt, this heavy conviction of sin. And, and, and Peter said unto them, don't worry about it, folks. Go home. Don't worry about it. We believe in a divine election. If you're meant to go to heaven, you're going to be there. Don't worry about repentance. Don't worry about how you live your life. Oh, no. No. Brothers and sisters, here is one of the key elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the repent, uh, preaching of repentance and faith. All the way through the book of Acts, you're going to, you're going to understand that this is a characteristic element of the true gospel of the Son of God. See, the true gospel of the Son of God does not leave us in worse condition than it found us. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in this name, the name of Jesus Christ, what you're doing, you're identifying with Christ. You're identifying not only with Christ, but you're identifying with the church that Christ built. And I think that's an important part of our study. We need to understand this is a part of the gospel message. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. It's without distinction, men, women, boys, girls, those who have been pricked in their heart and made to understand that they are a sinner by nature. And as a sinner by nature, they need a Savior of sinners. He's speaking to the people that have been born of the Spirit. And have the capacity to believe. And to respond. Savingly. To the gospel call. <laughs> he said. <clears throat> Repent and be baptized. Somebody says. Well baptism isn't that important preacher. Why in the world would you focus on that? Baptism is not what saves a man for heaven. Well that's true. That's true. Water baptism is not what saves people for heaven. That's, that's true. But I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, your pilgrimage as Christian men and women cannot begin until you are baptized. In that, in that act, you are confessing your faith and your confidence that Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection represented you. That when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose again, you rose with him. And that is the statement of faith. 
that is expressed through gospel baptism. And brothers and sisters, don't forget that gospel baptism incorporates the triune name of God Himself. It's no secret. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, when He says to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, why is that so important? Why is that uh, statement so critical to the people that we baptize? Because it is the Father that chose us before time began. It's the Son that redeemed us through the work on the cross. And it's the Holy Spirit that quickens us. So salvation is the work of the triune God. And when we accept the Christian baptism, we are identifying with that. So he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, irrespective of your background, irrespective of your uh, past, irrespective of your uh, gender, irrespective of your uh, uh, education, irrespective of your social status, irrespective of your race, every one of you. If God has touched your soul in a saving way, you need to be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ. See, He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of our salvation. So He says, for the remission of sins, that ye, uh, sh and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is a very important part of our study. When you consider the work of the Holy Spirit in the realm of salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. Amen? Without the Holy Spirit, we can't preach the true gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot receive the true gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot actually worship the God who chose us and saved us. See, the Holy Spirit is indispensable. And it's interesting to me that he's on. <laughs> that's why I told you in the beginning of this study, it's actually not the Acts of the Apostles, but it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. It's the Holy Spirit working in the lives of these individuals to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! If you don't know anything else tonight, if you can't rejoice in anything else tonight, you need to rejoice in that, that you know Jesus Christ. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that you do. So he's calling on them to repent. Now that's a, an interesting word study. And we're not going to go through all of the, 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 the uses of that word in the New Testament, but it's really interesting. But let me just put this out for you. Metanao is the Greek word that not only means a change of mind, but it actually means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. That's why it's a specific word that's used here. In fact, that word's used all the way through the book of Acts. See, he's not just describing being sorry for sin. He's not just describing... Um, Remorse. He, he's not just describing, uh, I'm sorry I got caught. He's not just describing um, an attitude towards sin that um, 
is uh, passive. This word is identifying to our heart and our minds the sinfulness of sin before God and the turning away from that sin to serve the living God. It's a very specific word. See, there's five terms that are translated repent in the New Testament Greek. But this particular word is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Now, this, I'm going to say this. Actually, I should have started with this. This is my first point. The early church had spiritual discipline. Repentance is a spiritual discipline. Baptism is a spiritual discipline. We're going to learn that they were a praying church. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. And I'm not talking about just collective prayer. I'm talking about individual prayer. And could I ask you, how is your prayer life tonight? Could I ask that question? Could I be so, so, so brazen with you to, to actually say, is your prayer life today what it should be? And most of us have to concede it's not. It's, it's not like we want it to be, or perhaps in seasons past that we enjoyed that prayer walk, that prayer time. I'll never forget going to uh, India on that first trip, and, and uh, we, were, we were talking uh, and trying to teach uh, in a conference setting, and, and we began to talk about prayer. And one brother stood up and he says, Brethren, I, I, I just ask you to pray for me because my prayer walk is growing cold. He said, I only pray two hours a day now. Boy, me and Brother Zach looked at each other. <laughs> only two hours? <clears throat> oh, he ought to be ashamed of himself. <laughs> All my brothers, sisters, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in the spiritual kingdom of his son is the gift of prayer. Communicating to God, and not just communicating our heart to God, but listening to what God is saying to our heart. That's the early church. They had that kind of discipline. And we read about them fasting. We read about them uh, doing uh, things, uh, of course, animated by the Spirit, that redound to the glory of God. And actually work to advance the kingdom of Christ. And I dare say that many of our churches are in trouble today because we have forgotten that great discipline of prayer. That great discipline of, of Bible study. That great discipline of devotions in our homes. I, lo I look forward to uh, when Donna and I can uh, read the Word of God together in the morning and the evenings. And we've been doing that for many years. And I, I look forward to that because it's a time... Not only when uh, we're drawing our attention toward God, but as we grow toward our affection toward God, we're actually growing to each other. It's an amazing discipline. And yet we forfeit it. We, we, we oh, don't have time for that. I tell the boys, I, I, the young men I work with, uh, you know, we have, we have too much work to do today not to pray. I've learned that through the years. I've learned it. 
If you don't take time to pray, oh my, uh, you're setting yourself up for certain disaster. Brothers and sisters, the early church is, is full of this Holy Spirit indicted prayer and praise and, 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 and worship. Here it is. He says, I want you to be uh, repent. I want you to uh, be baptized. I want you to acknowledge or be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and the remitting or the removing of your sin through His shed blood. And I want you to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, he says in verse 39, he says, For the promise is unto you and unto your children. Now that's a good thing. It's not only to you, but it's to your children. You see this? And not only to your children, but to them that be afar off. And that's where you and I were. Because we're not Jewish. We're, we're, we're not a part of of that land covenant. We're, we're not, we're separated from that and the promises that God made to Israel. But now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you that were afar off are drawn nigh. That's what I see in this verse. Not only is it uh, a promise to you and your children, but to them that are afar off, even over there in Faulkner, Mississippi, those folks are going to receive of this gift. Those folks are going to see the truth of this gospel. Those folks are going to be able to respond in the same way as these brethren did in the first century. Isn't that a marvelous? Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You see, that, brothers and sisters, is the long-distance call. The gospel is a short distance call. You know, they used to, in, back in the dark ages, you know, you would say, is your call going to be local or is it going to be uh, long distance? Well, the gospel is the local call. But what he's talking about here is the long distance call. Because until you have received the long distance call, your phone's not going to ring on the local one. You know, I need to write that down. That's a good uh, illustration there. Well, he says, uh, he says, uh, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What kind of call is it? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us it's a heavenly call. The Apostle Paul tells us that it's a high call. Isn't that right? It's a high calling of God. It's a heavenly calling of God. And Peter reminds us it's a holy calling of God and with many other verse 40 with many other words did he testify and exhort or encourage that's what I'm trying to do with you tonight I'm trying to not only exhort you in the way we think about uh, challenging one another but to encourage you in your walk with the Lord that's what I want to do tonight and, and this is what Peter was doing. He says, I want to testify to you. I want to exhort you. And I want to, I want to remind you that you need to save yourselves from this untoward generation, from this uh, uh, ungodly generation. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, the longer I live, the more ungodly this world appears to me to be. And, 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 and it's important for us as Christian men and women to... Uh, to be deliberate, to be intentional about not being affected by the sinful world in which we live. And I know for some of us that's harder to do than others because of the 
the, the, the job that you work in or the people that you have to be around, the language that you have to hear and the, the, the things that people say and, and the things that people do that just grieve your very heart. I, I know that that's, that's hard for some of us, but hear the word of the gospel. He says, I want you to save yourself from that. I don't want you to walk in company with that. And we need to be teaching our children these principles because sometimes we're judged by the friends that we choose. That's just the way it is. And there's some people that we shouldn't be friends with. Save yourself from this, this untoward generation. Much could be said on this. The word untoward is scolios, from which we get scoliosis. Scolios, which means bent or crooked. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. See, there's no coercion here. There's no manipulation here. It's preaching the gospel and leaving the consequence to him. See, that's what I, I, I encourage people to be baptized all the time. I, I'm telling you, I, I believe in encouraging people to do the right thing. But I'm not going to try to coerce them into it. I'm not going to try to force. I had uh, four children. And Donna can bear witness with this. And all of them come, Daddy, I think I need to be baptized. Why do you need to be baptized? Well, I believe in, in Jesus Christ. I love the truth. I love the church, Dad. I, and, I, and I just believe that that's the right thing to do. Well, let's pray about it. I want you to, I want you to pray about that. Let, let, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about it next month. See, because if it's real... If it's a real conviction of the Spirit, it will not leave them. It will not. But if it's just mom and daddy encouraging them to follow their example, right? They're going to do those things to please mom and daddy. Peter says, I'm not, I'm not about that. Those that gladly receive the word of the truth, you're the ones that need to be baptized. And again, uh, the spiritual disciplines, isn't that marvelous? And the same day there were about, uh, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? They were added 3,000 souls. Marvelous. <laughs> and they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine. Now, brothers and sisters, here's my second point. I've got to hurry up here. Not only are we talking about spiritual disciplines, but we're also talking about scriptural doctrines. Doctrine makes a difference. People say, oh, doctrine divides. Doctrine is something that you should never focus on. We need to focus on making people feel good. We need to focus on emotion. We need to focus on entertainment. We need to focus on anything but doctrine, but oh, when I look at the cameo of the early church, they were laser focused on true doctrine. And, I, uh, and the word doctrine translated here is didache. And didache is the body of teaching or instruction that they upheld. They focused on it. They continued steadfastly. They continued to persevere, endure, 
in, in the uh, holding up of the apostles' doctrine, not the fancies of philosophy or intrigue, but the apostles' doctrine. What God actually taught the apostles to teach the church. That's what I want to spend my life teaching. That's what I want you to embrace tonight. Not my particular tradition or philosophy, but the reason you believe in salvation is by grace is not because it's in our church decorum or statement, but because God revealed that truth to you in His Word. That's what you need to believe and uphold. This is scriptural doctrines. I want to base our doctrine, our didache, upon the Word of God. And not only that, but also fellowship. This is koinonia, a partnership. That's what we are. We're fellow partners in the work of the kingdom. We're, we're partners in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the saints. Um, and breaking of bread, I believe that, that that expression is describing the Lord's table. That's why it's such an important part of church life. The communion table. That's why it's such a highlight to the church when we, according to 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, are able to sit together at the Lord's table and to wash one another's feet. What a blessing. <laughs> and then it, here's the focus. And in prayers and in prayers. You know what he's describing? He's describing a listening church. He's describing a learning church. He's describing a living church. Scriptural doctrines. Not only scriptural doctrines, but also sanctifying duties. Sanctifying duties. Listen to verse 43. And fear came upon every soul. That word phobos means a sense of awe, holy terror, reverence. See, it's terrible when people in the household of faith or in the sanctuary are, are irreverent. You know, when I was growing up, my folks didn't allow us to run inside the church house. And I never understood that. You know, I mean, I was a tailback in, in football. I could dodge the old people. I would never knock them over. I mean, you know. But that, wasn't, that, that wasn't what my parents were trying to teach me. My parents were trying to teach me that the sanctuary is a place of reverence. Respect. So, we're going to respect the house of God. And, and that was a great lesson to me as a, a young fellow growing up. I, I mean it. And, and we, need to, we need to do that with our children to, to understand that when we enter into the sanctuary, we're entering in with a spirit and attitude of reverence for God and God's Word. It's a different place than any place else. Okay? That's what I, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by who? By the apostles. See, not by everyone. Not by uh, all the members uh, that were of the church, but by the apostles. Why? Because those sign gifts, those miracles authenticated the word that they were speaking. 
See, this, that, that was uh, done before the New Testament was written. Before we had the scriptures to read and understand, they listened to the apostles who were divinely inspired of God to teach them the truth of Christ. And God moved upon the apostles to write these things down so you and I and subsequent generations of Christians would know what is true and what is false. But the signs and the wonders that were wrought by the hands of the apostles were verifying, uh, authenticating the message that they were giving. In verse 44, And all that believed were together and had all things common. They had all things common. If, uh, if there was a brother in the church that had a need, the church did their best to take care of that need. They had all things common, which to my mind is a sacrificial dedication. They were willing to sacrifice in order to help the needs of others. They had all things common. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, that's way... I, I believe the church ought to be. That's why I believe in communism. Now, wait a minute. Don't think for a minute that this is a defense of communism. Communism is based upon what people are forced to give and forced to do for others. This, this is not communism. This is um, the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ that is ministering to the needs of others by the compulsion of the Holy Spirit, not by being forced to do it. So I just want to make that clear. We, are, we do not believe in communism or Marxism as Christians. Verse 45, and listen to this. They sold their possessions and goods and parted to them uh, to all men as every man had need. Brothers and sisters, they weren't forced to do that. And, not, and by the way, not all of them did that. Because later we're going to read where they meet in houses of Christians. Not, not, everybody was, uh, uh, not everybody was impressed to do that. But there were people in the Christian community that were impressed to give of their possessions... And that was honoring to the Lord. And they should do that. But because one person does that, doesn't mean that that fits every other member of the body. You see my point? They gave individually. Not, they didn't pool all their resources together. Uh, we could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to prove that. But we don't have time tonight. I just want you to see that there was some sacrificial, uh, uh, sacrificial dedication going on here. There, 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 there were sign gifts going on here. Uh, and and here's, our, our, here, here's our beautiful word, one accord, in verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Oh, brothers and sisters, uh, to me, that's a, a beautiful cameo of what the church uh, is about. The, the, the unity, uh, the homothumadon, the one-mindedness, the, 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 uh, the, the desire uh, to put the other brother ahead of yourself. You know, that's not natural, is it? it it's not natural. 
It's contrary to nature to, to want the other to have uh, something or to do something that I would not want to. You know, but for the sake of the peace of the church, for the sake of unity, we acquiesce, uh, acquiesce uh, to it. They continue, I like that. They continue continually, uh, daily. See, their religion wasn't a Sunday or a Wednesday night religion. It was a daily walk. It was how they were identified. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Listen to this. Gladness. Abelosis in the Greek language is to rejoice inwardly. There's, there's a lot of rejoicing going on here. There's a lot of rejoicing going on. Gladness in our Bible. Gladness. And then singleness of heart. The word singleness here is aphelotis. Aphelotis literally means no stones. What? Singleness of heart? No stones? Two meanings. When a church is, has singleness of heart, they don't have stones to throw at their brethren. They don't hurt their brethren. <laughs> Second application. They're not weighted down. They're not carrying stones in their heart. How many times has it been your case where you, you know, you're tired and boy, <laughs> you know, Things didn't go right, you know. Sister Haley, I think about her. She's carrying some stones tonight. Uh, th things just weigh you down. And then when you come to the house of God, what happens? You forget about that. You forget about those struggles and those conflicts and those sorrows. Uh, somehow, and you, 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 you leave the house of God refreshed. Brothers and sisters, that's what the church is about. It's a joyful, glad. It's a good place to be. Not a place we, dr oh, got to go to church again. You know, not one of those things. And then closing, verse 47, praising God. <laughs> oh, here's where some joy comes in. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Why? Why would they have pay, uh, favor with even the people that oppose them? Because the people that oppose them could see there's a difference in this man. There's a difference in this woman. There's, there's something going on in the life of this individual, and I want to know more about it. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And this is an important expression here. It means day by day, a continuum. There, was at, there were people being added to the church day by day. This, brothers and sisters, is a flaming reality of the church in daily revival. It's amazing, isn't it? So as we consider this cameo, we see its spiritual disciplines and scriptural doctrines and sanctifying duties, sacrificial dedication, sign gifts were demonstrated, but there was single-minded devotion. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need at Providence Church. 
We need that single-minded devotion. Whatever we do, we need to do it together. Yes, sir. Oh, I just want to ask. I wanted to thank oh. you. Oh, sure. Just before you, if you open back up. Mm-hmm.